Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. Um, if you're just joining in with us, my name's Scott, and I'm uh, the pastor of Christ Church, and I don't usually wear fancy clothes like this or robes like this all the time, uh, but I do on special days, and today is such a special day. And so, uh, to all the, our Christ Church community, uh, happy Easter. Um, Christ is risen. Amen. And uh, to those of you who are just joining in and watching, um, it's a joy to have you with us this morning as well. Um, I want to I wanna help us try to get under and make sense of uh, that beautiful gospel reading that uh, folks in our church work so hard on, which I thought was absolutely beautiful. And to do that, I want to begin by talking about physics and black holes, <laughs> obviously, uh, which is exactly what you were expecting. And there are so many reasons I should not talk about physics and black holes. For one, uh, I'm awful at science. The last science class I took was my freshman year of college, and it was my worst class and worst grade in all of college. Uh, so I have no authority, I have no knowledge to talk about this, but I'm going to because it's Easter and we're live streaming and what the heck. <laughs> um, I want to talk about it because I, even though I'm not a scientist, I'm irresistibly drawn to quantum physics and black holes and uh, Einstein's theory of re relativity, and here's why. Um, really smart scientists for thousands of years basically observed these kind of time-tested laws in the world that govern our universe. Uh, there's, there's kind of a way that our world works and you can predict it. And science discovers these things. So space and time and matter and gravity all have laws, which we've been able to understand and find as utterly predictable. So think about Newton's laws of motion. And if you're not a huge you know, scientist, you don't know what that is. It's like every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? That's one of them. If you hit something, it's gonna go until something stops it, stuff like that. Think about gravity itself. You throw a ball up in the air, it's gonna come back down. And we live life by these laws. They quite literally govern our world. The Earth orbits around the sun, predictably. And this comforts us that there's, there's kind of a law to the world because it's predictable, but it also binds us. But in the 20th century, uh, in our last century, out on the lunatic fringes of science, certain folks started wondering if there was more beyond these laws, that actually there are places in the universe, in our world, where these laws actually break down and where the laws of physics as we know them actually collapse, which is fascinating. Um, places where the narratives of science or the place that the rules by which we live our life and we understand the world have nothing to offer in these places. Um, Einstein was in some ways like the high priest of the lunatic fringe of science, uh, which I think is a pretty good title. Uh, and that's what I give to Einstein. Um, but in the early 20th century, he submitted the hypothesis of general relativity. And I'm not gonna explain it for you because I don't understand it fully, but I know that it basically said there are places in the world where space-time breaks down, where it doesn't work anymore. And no one, including Einstein himself, had ever seen one of these so-called singularities, which is what he called them. Um, but through his formulas, he hypothesized it. And if you will, he prophesied it. He said that they existed somewhere, even though he'd never seen it. That there are places in the universe, like in the idea of a black hole, uh, where space-time is actually punctured and where our physical laws break down. And in these places, matter and time and light literally bend into the singularity. Beyond them, we have no idea what happens, literally. 
You can talk to the smartest guys at MIT and Harvard and they don't know. They're unseeable, they're unknowable to an extent, but these scientists still conjecture that they existed. But last April, just before Easter actually, um, some of you will remember there was this massive breakthrough within the scientific community uh, that made it all the way to peasants like me who don't know about scientific <laughs> breakthroughs, but it got to me somehow. And that was that people finally captured an image of a super massive black hole. They took a, they finally got a picture of one. Uh, through a picture, we were finally able to stoop in and see one of Einstein's singularities. And in fact, Shepard Dolman, the guy who led this team to take this picture, uh, who they were all so stunned and shocked, said that when you're looking at it, you're looking at Einstein's geometry laid bare. It's like, oh my gosh, that's it. You're looking at it. And because Christ Church is so exceedingly high tech <laughs> these days, uh, I'm actually gonna show you a picture of it. So here it is. There it is. And you should be able to still hear me. I trust that you saw this in the news. This is the blazing galaxy eating donut of space. <laughs> um, you can also call it the cosmic eye of Sauron. Uh, this, the, the scale of this picture, what you're looking at is absolutely astronomical. But this is a picture of a black hole. The red and yellow bits uh, that you see around it are all light being sucked into the black hole once they get to the what's called the event horizon and inside that central thing is the black hole itself and literally the head of the team and the greatest scientists in the world will tell you we do not know what happens in that or beyond it space and time literally break down our laws of physics physics literally break down and thus our narrative of the world and of the universe is utterly challenged Okay, you can take it off. I mean, how cool is that? We don't have any videos in Christchurch, but it's, it's Easter. Come on. Um, listen to these quotes from some of the men and women who worked on this. Quote, Behold the end of space-time. It's the point at which every physical law of the known universe collapses. It is an abyss, a moment of oblivion. Unquote. Here's another one. We have seen what we thought was unseeable. Here's another one. This truly is the central mystery of our age. We are looking at a one-way portal to eternity. Whoa. Isn't that amazing? Don't you want to change your career and be an astrophysicist? Don't you want to know what happens inside a black hole? We don't know. There was a movie that came out a couple years ago called Interstellar. And in it... Uh, the character goes into a black hole. And I remember being in the movie theater and he was getting closer because uh, they're just, it's all conjecture. But I remember my palms sweating as he was getting to the event horizon to dip in because it's unknowable. We don't know what's beyond it. Here's what happens when you see something like that. If you actually think about it and it actually breaks into your imagination, it absolutely reshapes the way you think about the world. It reshapes your universe. It takes your view of the world whether you're an astrophysicist or not, and it breaks it open. It opens up the ceiling of what you thought was possible. All of a sudden, the world is bigger and more unknowable than you had ever previously imagined. You have to go back to the drawing board. You have to rethink your narrative of the world. There's more than you know out there. And here's the kicker. This means that Newton's laws of motion exist. It doesn't mean those aren't true or that they're not helpful, but they are not the end of the story. Even Einstein's theory, scientists will tell you, has massive holes in it and massive unanswered questions. 
So seeing the unseeable reshapes your imagination. When you look into the portal to eternity, it rewrites your narrative. Now let's think about our lives. It's Easter, so you know where I'm going with this, but let's think about us for a second. All of us have a narrative that we tell ourselves, right? By which we live our life. And yes, matter and scientific stuff are a part of this, um, like the world around us, space and time and stuff, but there's also more to this, not in just terms of the what, which are those scientific questions, but the why and the who questions of the way that we think about the universe and the world and our life. Um, big universal questions about stuff like life and death and the battle between good and evil and if God exists and all these things. And then personal questions like, do I matter? What is my story? Am I significant in this world? How will my story end? And there is a lot of data out there to continue with our analogy by which we think about our life and by which we kind of organize a, a narrative of the world for ourselves. Um, there are a lot of really beautiful moments in life, beautiful moments, like when you have your first 60 degree day in Wisconsin in spring. <gasps> what was that this past week when we all got sunburned because everybody was like, please, the sun. Um, but then we have really ugly moments in life, which are, make us cringe to even think about or remember. We have fulfilling moments where we feel like I'm in my sweet spot. And then we have moments that are utterly crushingly disappointing. We have times where we feel like we have a purpose. Oh, there's a reason in my existence and I'm contributing to it. And then we have other times where we feel like our days are just rolling down the gutter. Like we are utterly insignificant to others and to the world. But the one common denominator, the great data point of human life is death. Every single one of those stories ends the same way and it ends in death. Death is the great law of our humanity. It hangs over all of us. It colors all our narratives. It strips us of joy in life. It's, it stills us with fear. Again, one of the most moving part of one of my favorite songwriters' songs, he just cries out at the end of the song, to the deepest part of the human heart, the fear of death expands. It's like death expands as a fear over your life, like the universe expands. Indeed, the fear of coronavirus is the fear of death. We're not afraid of catching the flu. We're afraid of death. And that fear is so palpable that it literally shut down our world. And I'm not saying that is not a good thing. It is something to fear. The author of Ecclesiastes uh, in the Bible talks about this better than anybody I've ever heard. And uh, the author says, if death basically is an immovable, unescapable truth, then all life is vanity, which is basically the Hebrew word means breath. It's just a, a wisp. It just goes away. And if this is the end of all of our narratives, then death wins. Death, the great enemy and law of human life, has the last word of all data points. But another part of us feels like this can't be all there is. And humans have always felt this. Just like Einstein and scientists worked their way to the theory of general relativity and are still working their way to try to figure out the unknowable, so we feel deep in our souls that there has to be more to life than just living a little bit longer. There has to be more than enjoying a few simple pleasures before it's blotted out utterly by death and shale. Death cannot be the only story. Death cannot be the only thing that's true. Evil and sadness and good and beauty cannot be merely realities in a random universe before it goes black. 
It takes a lot of courage to even ask that question and think about it. Again, the author of Ecclesiastes talks about this. He said, God has put eternity in our hearts, that we feel it. And so people all throughout history in all kinds of different cultures and religions have conjectured about this. We try to make sense of not only our physical world, but also our spiritual world, which is just as much of a palpable aspect of our human existence as the tactile world. And we grope for spiritual laws by which we can understand it. This is the mystic inside every single one of us, and you are a mystic, whether you agree to it or not. Uh, one of my favorite mystics and one of my favorite examples of this is from Bruce Springsteen, that blessed <laughs> mystic, uh, who in one of my favorite songs of his, Atlantic City, puts the words inside the character in this song, everything dies, baby, that's a fact. But maybe everything that dies someday comes back. You see, even the boss wonders about these things and is groping in the universe. Oh, and this is where we get to Easter morning. You see, long ago, God sent us prophets who spoke of the resurrection. Remember the Valley of Dry Bones? We read that three weeks ago. If you didn't read it with us, it's this crazy story in the Old Testament about bones coming back to life. Remember what Jesus does before he heads into Jerusalem? He raises Lazarus. And those are all signposts to this reality that there's more beyond the void. Uh, I loved Ian's reading this morning from Isaiah. All these prophets came to teach us to hope that maybe there was a God and he was good and he would win in the end. And maybe our life isn't just a meaningless tragedy. That maybe our lives can indeed flower one day like the blossoms of spring and sadness and ugliness and death would all bend towards the light of divine joy. Um, when you read the Gospel of John, one of the consistent themes in that Gospel, that, that book in the Bible about Jesus' life, is that Jesus is not of this world. You just hear him say that over and over and over again and argue about it with people. So he'll say stuff like, my kingdom is not of this world. I come from the Father. I'm going back to the Father. And so much of Jesus' teaching was built upon breaking open our own personal and universal, universal narratives of the world around us. Um, not only that there was a God, but that this God existed and that he's beyond death and he loves you and has made a way for us to know him, a way for us to break out of our cycle of death and narratives of pain and anguish and anxiety. Jesus doesn't speak in John about eternity um, or these things like somebody, like a normal mystic. Uh, he speaks about it like he's actually been there. So he doesn't add maybe like Bruce Springsteen, I wonder. He says stuff like, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Not many people in the world made that kind of a claim. When people heard Jesus talk like this, eternity just inside them was stirred. Something that was dormant in them all of a sudden was awakened. They were moved. They wanted to know more. It's like when you hear about supermassive black holes. I know nothing about science, but I am transfixed when that picture came out. When I hear scientists say, here's what's happening, here's what this is, and we have no idea what's beyond it. Something in you, your inner child or your inner mystic, which I think is the same thing, is awakened. You want to know. You want to see. This is what happens when you hear Jesus speak. This is what happens to the, the disciples uh, when they heard Jesus speak. 
But then on, on Good Friday, people who had followed this man who had said all these things, he was crucified shamefully and he died and he was buried in a tomb. And on that day, the disciples, the people whose hope had been stirred, who thought maybe we're gonna get a glimpse of eternity, maybe there's more, maybe God can defeat death, were utterly crushed. Whatever hope they had was absolutely crushed. It seemed that even for Jesus, death was the true law, the final word. But on Easter morning at dawn, as we saw in that beautiful video, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb of Christ and the tomb is open and it's empty. And then she gets Peter and John and they have this hilarious race in the scriptures uh, that John records of like who's getting there first to see. Um, this is like one scientist after years of trying to capture a, a picture of a supermassive black hole being despondent and going to sleep and all of a sudden her doorbell rings and she runs to the door and there's another scientist sweating and he's like we just took a picture of a black hole and it's like what and she drops everything and sprints to the lab that's what peter and john and mary are doing by the way this is peter and john right here i love this painting this is one of my favorite paintings i can't remember who did it but we can find it for you but it's title is extremely generic. It's like Peter and John running to the tomb on the morning of Easter or something like that. Um, but I loved in our video the way that our actors captured it. And I love the, just the posture that you see. These guys who had been groping and following Jesus are now, the hope is ignited again. Whatever was left, it's been, it's been kindled into flame. And they are daring to dream again that potentially it's true, that death is not the last word. And then they see the unseeable. They see a mystery greater than the supermassive black hole, truly. The true portal to eternity. The tomb is empty. The body is no longer there. Jesus takes his funeral garments and he just folds them up like a child making his bed. and he, He's gone. And all of human history, all the laws of life and death collapse before the empty tomb. The narratives of Mary's life, the narrative of the disciples' life, they're completely broken open. The ceiling's blown off. At first, it's, it's interesting, the mystery is too great for them. I don't know if you caught that in the reading. Uh, the tomb is empty, yet they just, they didn't fully understand what it signified. Uh, or that this is what Jesus and the prophets were always foretelling. But then Mary Magdalene again gets the supreme honor, which I love. And she's weeping in the garden. She's struggling to understand what's happening, um, wondering what happened to Jesus. And then Jesus himself, arisen from the dead, having stepped back through the portal from eternity, meets her in the garden. And Jesus calls her out by name, Mary. And when Mary hears Jesus call her name, she, she recognizes him. She sees Jesus himself. And our reading today ends with her telling the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Again, she does for John and for Peter what John is doing for us this morning. We're hearing his testimony. John heard Mary's testimony. And then like Mary and like John, when you hear the testimony, you need and you are called and invited to go and stoop in and see for yourselves. Come and see is the refrain of scripture. This is why John wrote the scriptures, to bear witness to this, that you might believe. And if we are courageous enough to consider the resurrection, to have our world opened up, 
our entire world is reshaped. Our universal and personal narratives are crushed in joy, in life. On a universal level, this means death is not the end, that it's not the great law. There's a law higher than death <laughs> that governs the way the universe works. This is what C.S. Lewis would call deep magic, deeper than our understanding of how things work in this world. Something's above it. It means Jesus is the one who controls the deep, deep magic, and he's the only one who has the power over death. It confirms his claims and all his teaching. It's a vindication of the rest of the gospel. And it means that good wins and love wins. Hallelujah. That's a reason to go nuts before a MacBook camera on a, on a Sunday morning. Now, on a personal level, it means that we matter. Jesus comes back not as just some cosmic force. No, he comes back as himself, and he calls Mary by her name. And that means that the resurrection doesn't just matter in general. It means it mattered to Mary. It means it matters to me. It means it matters to you. And this is not escapism. Um, this is not denying our hardship or suffering and saying that like Jesus gives us a wormhole out of the hardships of life. No, remember what happened on, on Good Friday. Jesus suffered. Jesus tasted every part of the laws of sin and death in this world. He was crushed by our iniquities and he tasted and drank the cup of death to the dregs. So it's not denying the truth of those things. But what it does mean, to borrow a phrase from our parishioner Ian Olson, is that the resurrection is also one of the things that's true. And it has the last word. That's why the cross and the resurrection both exist. But the resurrection is the last word. And that means that all our suffering and pain and loneliness and shame really do bend and vanish into the divine mirth and ecstasy of God. Hallelujah. So come and see. This week and in this season of Eastertide, which meets us smack in the middle of a global pandemic. Wow. Take your narrative. Take your fear of death. Take all the laws that you think govern the world to the empty tomb of Christ and to the garden where Jesus walks. Sit in your favorite couch this afternoon. Wherever your favorite place is, Easter is a time to rejoice. We have seasons of feasting and uh, fasting, and this is a day, this is a feast day. So get your favorite drink, your favorite food, I don't know, whatever that is, and sip on it and consider the resurrection. The mystery, greater than a super massive black hole. Consider, consider what it means for your view of the world around you. What it means for your big universal questions, who God is and who Jesus is, and consider what it means for you. Seek God and hear him call you by your first name, the one who has returned from the one-way portal to eternity. And finally, if you're listening this morning and you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, or you don't feel like you've ever fully tasted of the resurrection, um, I wanna encourage you to take a step of faith today if you wanna taste that joy and that forgiveness. If your posture is like these guys' posture and you're thinking, is it actually true? Reach out to him today, pray to him. Hear him call you by your name. And also, I'd love for you to reach out to me. I would love to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus and to taste more deeply of him and to receive his forgiveness and love. 
we, uh, Christchurch Madison, uh, there's never been a greater opportunity to learn that our church, we always have known our church isn't a building uh, because we meet in a high school gym. So we're pretty clear on that. Uh, but if that wasn't clear already, then it's really clear now that the church is the people. It's not an organization or a building. And our community is, our vision as a community is to be a community coming home to Jesus and his church. Uh, we're a community that's stooping in to look and consider the mystery. We're a community that wherever we're at, we're having our, our lives reorganized and our narratives reshaped by the divine love of God. So come and join us. Again, I would love to reach out to you. Come and see. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.